time together today, and we are just so excited to have you all here today. How's everybody doing? Good. Are you feeling cheerful? At least maybe your spirits are lifted a little bit. It's a little yucky outside today, but um, hopefully the lights and, um, and just being together is a time of, of uh, joy for you. And, um, and so I want to say something to you today, and that is, Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everybody! So before you go and start grabbing your keys, because you believe your pastor's finally lost it, um, just settle in for a second um, and hear me out, Um, because I want to tell you a little bit about that, Um, because did you know that it is actually New Year's Day? It might be confusing to you, because uh, usually in life, well, in our lives, we live by a calendar that's called the Gregorian calendar, and, um, and people have lived for hundreds of years by this calendar. But did you know, uh, oh, and that calendar, we run, what, January through December, right? And then it like starts over again. That's how we kind of time our plan our lives, my calendar says that. But did you know that for hundreds of years, followers of Jesus actually followed a very different calendar? They followed a very different calendar. They didn't live their lives by the Gregorian calendar. They lived by what was called the Christian calendar. And so, actually, the Christian calendar begins today. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, which begins the new year in the Christian calendar. And so, Advent is a season of anticipating the birth of Jesus. And, um, and then, there, here's a kind of picture. This is also in your worship guide, too, if you would like to follow along. It's kind of interesting. That, that Advent begins that, that season of anticipating Jesus. And then after Christmas, the part of the calendar we enter into is called, like, ordinary time. It's the different li- parts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, and then after we go into ordinary time, and before you know it, we're celebrating the season of Lent. And it's in February this year, in the beginning, middle of February. I actually think it's on Valentine's Day is the start of, of Ash Wednesday. And the period of Lent, it leads up to Easter, that we prepare ourselves for the resurrection. And after Easter, about 50 days, give or take, after Easter is Pentecost. You see that there on that little red, little sliver right there. And Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. We celebrate how the Holy Spirit is for all people, how God uses and speaks and calls all kinds of people. Can I get an amen to that? He calls men and women. He calls young and old. He calls people that are all together and people that are totally falling apart. He calls and uses all of them to share the love of Jesus. And, and after Pentecost, the season of Pentecost, then we enter into what is our in the Northern Hemisphere summer. Did you know in the Southern Hemisphere, it's winter there, right? It's summertime right now. But in our summertime, it takes us through another period of ordinary time. And then you see on the calendar is Christ the King Sunday. And that's the last Sunday of the old year. And actually, that was last Sunday, believe it or not. And that's why, that's why this time of year is called Advent. It's called anticipating arrival, meaning arrival or the coming. And so that means that today is New Year's Day. So Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Happy New year. And it's, it's really interesting that when you look at the Scriptures... When you look at the scriptures, actually, three of the four Gospels um, begin with the anticipation and celebration of the coming of Jesus. 
looking back to the beginning. Um, it's only the Gospel of Mark, so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels. Um, only Mark's Gospel, his is a little bit different, starts with the baptism of Jesus. The rest all begin with, with Jesus' arrival. And actually, uh, the Apostle John, he takes that even a bit further and goes all the way back to the beginning, echoing the words of Genesis, the beginning of time. But we have Matthew and Luke that basically start their Gospels off with the birth of Jesus. And so Jesus' arrival, it makes Christmas a big deal uh, because of, of this, this, this word that we use in, in kind of ministry circles, this very theological word called incarnation. incarnation. Can you guys say incarnation with me? Incarnation. And the word incarnation, it comes from a Latin phrase meaning in the flesh. In the flesh. Meaning that God actually became in the flesh, dwelt among us. And it's the idea that believers of Jesus that we have, that Jesus somehow, we don't fully understand it, people, scholars have tried for hundreds and hundreds of years, but that Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. That he was 100% God and 100% human. In Jesus, both humanity and divinity commingle together. That God is truly Emmanuel, God with us. And so like I said, John's gospel starts off with with that idea, expressing that in really poetic terms. And I love what uh, one of my favorite authors who actually wrote like his own little translation of the Bible, maybe you've heard of it, it's called The Message. Um, It's really a paraphrase. Um, I don't recommend it if you're doing like a hardcore study, but for devotional purposes, it's great. But I really love what he says in in John 1.14 as he describes this. He says, the word became flesh and blood, and moved into the neighborhood. It dwelt among us, other translations say. But I love how he said, moved into the neighborhood. Like, I, I picture, like, 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 God, like, moving boxes, you know, and, like, the moving truck, like, coming in, I'm setting up shop here, right? I'm moving in next door to you. I'm coming in. I'm here. I'm here. I'm present. And, and we see that. We see that, like, physically in the ministry and life of Jesus, don't we? That, that if you read and continue in all four of the Gospels, You see how Jesus truly sits among us. He starts off in a manger, but then as he grows up, he sits with all kinds of people around all kinds of tables. The the religious people that think they have it all together, the the messed up people that were the sinners and tax collectors, he sits with them. He sits with people who were written off by the world. And I think think sometimes this time of year as we enter into Advent, December, Isn't it true? Like this season sometimes can get so busy that it's over before we know it. And we never actually really sit with Jesus. I don't know if there's a year, you know, I remember there's been years gone by even as a pastor that it's like Christmas Eve and it's a Christmas day and it's like, what just happened, right? You're like, oh my gosh, that we failed to take the opportunity to sit with Jesus. And, And over the centuries, really, Advent is supposed to be a time to sit with Jesus, and to sit with Jesus, and specifically to listen, to listen. And I want to encourage you to do that, to, to make time for that, that, that the true meaning and purpose of Christmas is Jesus, but, but to, that we would do that and sit with Jesus and take time to listen, because I believe that Jesus has something to say to you too. He has something to say to us as, as God's people, as, as his church. And so we're calling this, this sermon series that we're talking about in Advent, we're calling it Seated. 
that, that God shows up in the right place at the right time, and he moves into the neighborhood and takes his seat among us. So today I want to start off this Sunday with, um, with this idea. This is kind of like your main idea, so if you um, take a little nap time from now on, you'll at least maybe remember one thing from today, besides maybe the coffee or the beautiful lights. But I want you to sit with this idea. Where we sit determines what we hear. Think about that. Where we sit determines what we hear. And isn't it true? Like, we've all been in places when you've been trying to pay attention, and all you could hear was them, Right? All you could hear was them and their conversation. I don't know about you, but um, there's been times, especially like after COVID, I've gone to the movies a handful of times and like walk in and like theater theater is like totally empty. And so I walked in, this was a couple of months ago with a friend of mine and we took a seat and, you know, had our choice of where we were sitting. And um, it was like a couple of minutes before the show was going to start. All of a sudden you see the light, the door open and family come in. And of course, you know it, where do they take a seat? The whole theater is open except for the two of us. Where do they take a seat? Right in front of us. Like right in front. And of course, they're always the crunching popcorn eaters or the loud talkers or the the forgot my cell phone to turn it off, you know, even though they have like the things on the screens all the time, right? And then it's like halfway in the movie, and you're like, you can't really hear because they're like talking, you know, say something, that kind of thing. But essentially, like where you sit determines what you hear. Um, you know, if you've ever coached a team, um, you know, like you, there's certain plays that sometimes in like, like football, even like soccer, hockey, that, that you play. Like where you sit, if you're all the way on the other side of the field, like you can't hear what the other team is planning and plotting. Like you wish you could, right? You wish you could, but it's where you're sitting that determines what you hear. And so I want to drive home this point with a little experiment here. So I need to know in this room, which, where is the most rambunctious section of the room today? Where do you think? We have some hands like waving, like be loud, be loud, woohoo, right? Where's our loudest? So you're going to win a prize in your head, in your heart. Do we have a loud section? A loud section. Everybody's pointing over here to our worship lead. Yeah, I don't know. They're tired. They've been singing, right? Okay, I don't. I don't know. Where, where, where do you think is the court? Where do you think is the most rambunctious? Right around here. The worship team. Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. Well, so so Maddie has been a great volunteer. She's volunteered to be part of my little experiment. So so Maddie, I'm going to ask you if you could stand up and just sit next to Court Burr right there. In the back. He was the guy that just did the welcome before. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna have you all right in that whole vicinity. You're gonna be our loudest part of the room, right, Dave Smith? Okay, we're not calling people out here at all. But but what I want you to do, those of you that are sitting around Maddie, I just want you to start having some conversation. Just talk about anything, like you just hung the greens, whatever uh, eagles are playing today, right? Isn't that true? Fly eagles, fly, whatever. So, so just all start talking. So start talking nice and loud. Just start talking. Yeah. So, so I'm going to share some really, really important information with you all. Because did you know that I am told that someone here has a winning lottery ticket for tonight's drawing? And that number, I'm told, is 752 Maddie, did you hear anything that I was just saying? 
no, no, not at all. I was just giving some winning lottery numbers because I got a special, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice, right? right? But, but j- j- just th- think about that, though. Think about that, that, that as I was talking, like, like, I didn't really change anything. Like, I didn't really change my volume. The only thing that changed was Maddie's position of where she was seated that prevented her from hearing. It prevented her from hearing maybe what was something that was important. And I want to add this little bit, that where we sit determines what we hear, but what you hear depends on who you're near. What you hear depends on who you're near. So Maddie, thank you for being a good, good example there, a good experiment. Thank you so much. So, so hold on to that thought, that where we sit determines what we hear, and what we hear depends on who we're near, who we're around. I want you to go back with me. 700 years before Jesus was born to a time of Isaiah, to the time of the prophets. This is traditionally called Prophet Sunday. It's when we celebrate and look to the prophets. Um, and, and I want you to imagine that, that the situation was that the, the God's people, the people of Israel, the Jews, were under the thumb of this people called the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire. And basically, the Assyrian Empire was this mega nation that was trying to overthrow the Jews. And you might ask, well, why? Well, well, they were trying to overthrow them because they wanted to take everything that they had. People just conquered people. And so, so we imagine that these are an oppressed people. The, the people of Israel was, was oppressed. They were under the thumb of the Assyrians. And, and and you might imagine, you might imagine they were probably asking the question, like, how could God let this happen? Right? They're supposed to be the protected ones. They're supposed to be the ones that are doing everything. Well, actually, they weren't. So, so under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament Scriptures, we, we see that the, the people of God, their obedience to God was paramount to their relationship with God. And we see that time and time again, that, that time and time again, that the people of Israel, they started to fall away from God. They started to get close to people and things that they were not supposed to. They were lured away from God by following, let me say, like the shiny things. The shiny things. In the Old Testament, they were called idols. You know, we still have them today. They just look a little different. They may not be in statue form. But we have lots of things that people worship with all their being, with their time, with their resources, with what they are. And those things lured the people of Israel away from loving God. They got in the place of God. And actually, I would say this. Anything good thing can very easily become an idol by taking the place of God. It can easily become the thing that we worship. Well, the consequences of their disobedience basically turned into turmoil for the people. And, And so they were conquered by the Assyrians. But... God didn't give up on them. God didn't give up. Instead, he sent these people called the prophets. He sent people called prophets. He actually called them up. He sent them messages and said, I'm going to use you to speak my truth to the people, to draw them back to God. And the hope, God's hope, was that they would listen. They would listen to his words and come back. And so Isaiah was one of those. And so he was given an assignment by God to, to call them, to, to stand up and to sit with God once again because they had lost their way. And it's interesting, in the whole book of Isaiah, Old Testament scriptures, um, we see that, that what part of what Isaiah was saying was a warning. Some of it was a warning to the people of things that were going to happen if they continued to act in certain ways. 
But other times it was a word of hope and encouragement. There were warnings, there were hope, words of hope and encouragement. And I think it's important for us to recognize that too, that both are from God. Both are from God. Warnings, words of hope and encouragement, we need to hear both. We need to hear both. And I'd say, like, if God is only encouraging you all the time, never challenging you, never even disagreeing with your opinion, I think it's a good time to sit back and to think, like, you know, am I truly listening to the voice of God? Because there will be challenge that comes with that. There will be warnings that come with that. There will be times of correction that come with that. And so Isaiah, he was communicating this to try to lead the people back to God. But, but another thing we have to recognize about the prophets is that, that, uh, that they were calling the people to listen, listen presently, like to their situation, what was going on with the Assyrians and that stuff. But they were also calling them to listen to the future, to listen to something that was going to happen in the future. And that's where the prophets come in, Isaiah specifically, about foretelling Jesus' coming about not just the immediate situation, but what God was doing in the long game, in the big game. And he was foretelling Jesus, the Messiah was coming to save them because they couldn't save themselves. And so Isaiah chapter 9 begins like this. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future... He will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. See, Isaiah, he's giving a word of hope in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the people's arrogance and disobedience. God is offering a gracious word of hope to say God isn't finished. God isn't finished. So, so Judy, if you could put that beginning of that scripture back up there. What word does that scripture begin with in 9-1? What word? Nevertheless, can you guys say that with me? Nevertheless, in your notes, can you like circle that, highlight that? That Isaiah wants to hear, want us, wants us to hear that we sit with a nevertheless God. We sit with a nevertheless God. That we see it in the person of Jesus. We saw those who sat with Jesus. We see the apostle Peter, this fisherman with the dirty mouth that messes up and he betrays Jesus. He turns away from him at his most crucial time and yet Jesus calls him and uses him. And nevertheless, God, we see him in Jesus' interaction with this woman at this well who's broken beyond what you can imagine and, and yet he calls her and she actually becomes the, one of the first to share the good news with the people of her town. And nevertheless, God, it's an amazing thing. We see even after Jesus, we see this guy named Saul. You may know him as Paul. Became one of the most prolific writers and church planters that the world had ever seen. And so he had actually been killing Christians. And yet God used him because he met Jesus and nevertheless was forgiven for what he'd done. And he was used as an instrument of hope and grace. See, some of us need to sit just a little bit closer to our nevertheless God. So when we were still his foe, his love was fighting for us. When we write periods, God writes a comma. When we think it's the end, God says, no, nevertheless. Nevertheless, come take a seat. Wait on me. And maybe for you, maybe you've been in a place where the doctor has said something to the tune of it's hopeless. You know, hopeless means you've run out of options. Or maybe you've had a spouse or someone in your life come to you and say, we're done. And you thought, hey, it's hopeless. 
You know, I imagine that there are many of us here that are in some kind of hopeless situation or that we're facing something. We think that we have absolutely no more options in our bodies, in our finances, maybe in our relationship with God, that we failed Jesus or maybe he's failed us. That, that remember, where you sit determines what you hear. Isaiah is saying, nevertheless, nevertheless, there is hope. So sit close. Sit close and listen because what you hear depends on where you're sitting. And, and so where are you sitting? Well, you can choose. You can choose. And the first thing that we can choose, and Isaiah says this, is that we, you can sit close to Jesus' light in the midst of darkness. I can sit close to Jesus' light in the midst of darkness. And we see that as he continues in Isaiah verse 9, verse 2. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I don't know about you, but um, you know, when I was growing up, um, there'd be times when I'd be like reading in my living, in the living room. Uh, with my, my family's house and you know, reading a book and then like especially this time of year like you know the sun sets at like four o'clock and I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden it would start getting darker and darker and darker and then I would hear the most famous words why are you reading in the dark don't you know it's bad for your eyes right you've heard those words too haven't you but, but isn't it true? And actually, like, you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uh, aunt, uncle, whoever told the, to you those things, um, they were actually right that, the, that you do need to sit close to light because you can, it actually does not strain the, your eyes as much when you're reading in the light. Um, you actually read words better. You can read them without squinting. You can actually focus better. And I think that's kind of what Isaiah is pointing to here, that, that these were a defeated people that, that they had been living in a land of what was milk and honey. If you've read the Old Testament scriptures before, you've heard those words. But now, guess what? It's turned to death and despair. That they're left in the dark without answers. And I think hopelessness can kind of do that to you. You can almost feel like you're dark and blind. And you're squinting. You can't read right. You can't listen right. It's feeling like you're in the dark. Uh, recently, I watched a, a video on YouTube um, of uh, some, some interesting surgery that took place. Um, did you know that they can actually bring back, doctors can actually bring back sight to some children with certain conditions um, who were born blind and they restore their sight? Well, there was this, this little girl. Uh, I watched this video of this amazing surgery that they do today with like lasers and stuff. And, um, and she was given the gift uh, this, of this surgery to help her see. And, um, and the video, it's hard to, I, I was going to show the whole thing. It was like, like 19 minutes long, probably a little too, too long for us, but you can watch it. Um, but these are some pictures. And um, it was very cool because when they took the bandages off of her eyes, she totally looked at the world differently. Like, like you know, she had that glaze over in that first picture. And then all of a sudden, she like saw things. And she's like going up to like the table and like touching it. And just like little things like that. And it's interesting because... The world didn't change, she did. The world didn't change, but she did. And as beautiful as it was to see her the first time be able to see, even more beautiful was her mother's joy. Watching her mother see her see for the first time. And I couldn't help but think that if an earthly mother could desire that for a child, how much more does our God want us to truly see 
not to just live and roam in darkness. That he's the light of the world and he wants to turn on the light in our lives and in our world in the darkness. And that's not to shame you, but to love you. To see differently than what you maybe had thought. And, and that's why I would say this, like in times of darkness, it's even more important to get close to him. To, to listen to him. To engage time in scripture. To take time to pray. In times of darkness, because there's going to be so many distractions around you. And, and, and truthfully, his light, it usually reveals lots of broken places when it comes in your life. Broken places for healing. Revealing things in your heart you didn't know were there. Greed, anger, lust. That the light of Jesus, as we continue to grow with him, it keeps revealing to us. But it's not out of a place of shame. It's out of a place of love. And, and we don't have to stay in the dark, squinting. That's what Isaiah is saying. We don't have to stay and put and throw up our hands and say, I'm in the dark. That's all it's going to be. We might not be able to change the darkness, but we can change where we sit in it, and we can sit close to Jesus. But then he goes on and he says something to the tune of this, that I can sit in Jesus' joy in the midst of despair. That's another choice we have, to sit in joy in the midst of despair, in Jesus' joy more specifically. So Isaiah continues, he says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. He's talking about the Lord. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So imagine, imagine this. Like these were a plundered people. These were a conquered people. They had no reason for joy. That, that their land, their property, all of it had been decimated, including their place of worship, their temple. That there had been nothing. But Isaiah is saying, in the midst of this, I want you to know that the Messiah is coming. And then he uses this image. What, what I love is the harvest feast. A harvest feast, like a table. Like I said, the Thanksgiving on steroids, this harvest feast. And, and there's a little bit of a disconnect from us culturally because um, we don't really depend much on a harvest. I mean, you can get strawberries in December, right? You can get any kinds of fruits and vegetables. We have things like Aldi and Weiss and Giant and Trader Joe's, right? You just go and you pick up what you want when you want it. But, but back then, there was this thing called sustenance farming. So meaning that when it was harvest time, they celebrated what God had given them, what, and they gave thanks to God for that. And Jesus' life reflected this, reflected this joy, this joy of harvest that the angels were told brought great news of great joy about Jesus' coming. That, that even to the end, Mary Magdalene, as she peers into the tomb expecting to see a dead body, that she returns to the disciples and is described with what? Great joy. With great joy. That Jesus wants to bring joy. But notice that it's not your joy. It's not your joy. It's not what comes after the thing. It's what comes before the thing. It's a gift of Jesus. It's not something conjured up inside of us or an outward show to make us happy. It comes from a, has to come from a sustainable source outside of us. And so many of you know um, that I had a, the opportunity this past February to uh, travel to the Holy Land, to Israel. And, um, and so I, I thought I'd share a little bit uh, about that um, because I did get to visit the town of Bethlehem. And if you didn't know, the town of Bethlehem is actually located in the West Bank. It's in the West Bank territory. You have to pass through checkpoints to get there. 
And the people that are living in the West Bank, whether they're um, uh, whatever, if they're any kind of Palestinian, whether they're Christian or not, they're not allowed to cross the border, even though we as Americans could go forth, back and forth either way. Um, I just have a couple pictures I want to share. So that's what the West Bank looks like. That's the view. That's a little town of Bethlehem in modern times. And um, I think of another picture there. That's us at lunch. I do have to say, Bethlehem had the best pizza. Seriously, we had lunch, um, and it was a, a little restaurant that was owned by some folks there, had some great conversations. Um, so this is actually the, the, what is seen the, the um, birthplace of Jesus, the little town of Bethlehem. There's a church there that was built there, and, um, and so that was when we were there in, um, in February. But um, I've been up to um, some of the latest news about what's been going on there, and of course people can't come in, people can't go out. Um, a lot of the people in Bethlehem, especially the, the um, Christians that are located there, have been scared for their lives, um, including the shop maker that made this cross that I brought back from Bethlehem um, because they, they can't do anything. They can't go anywhere. Um, and it's been interesting, following the news, um, the, Bethlehem canceled their um, Christmas celebrations that they usually have. They have thousands of people, of course, that come to Bethlehem, mainly Christians, this time of year. It's a great economic source for a lot of the people there. And they actually took down all the Christmas decorations because of the, um, the conditions that people are living in and, um, and just kind of the overall um, feeling of despair that a lot of people are encountering. And so they say that right now, the streets of Bethlehem, they're shuttered shops where there used to be bustling people buying trinkets and in and out. There's nobody walking around. There's nobody gathering except in church. Except in church. And this is actually a picture that was taken last Sunday at um, that very church that I just showed you where people are worshiping. It's the only place where you'll have hundreds of people gathering. And what are they doing? They're worshiping Jesus in the midst of what really is kind of a war zone. And, um, and they're worshiping, and one, one gentleman um, I read a, an article um, that even in the midst of all that's going on, he said, because of Jesus, we can live in a land of despair, but still sit in joyful hope. Still sit in joyful hope. This, this is what's real, that the joyful hope doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from what's even around us. It comes from him. That's the starting point. That we can sit, I can sit in Jesus's joy, even in the midst of despair. If they can do it, guess what, guys? You can do it. You can do it. Sit in Jesus' joy, receive that joy. But then, um, just continuing, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Isaiah, he goes on and, and shares with us the fact that we can also choose to sit with Jesus as my li- our liberator in the midst of captivity. I think that speaks to that situation, but even more so, Isaiah 9, 4 to 5 says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar is across their shoulders, the rod is their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, be fuel for the fire. You know, it's hard to imagine, it's hard for us to imagine living in a place that's overrun by by, by captors or being uh, under somebody else's rule, but that's, that's what's happened here. It was an oppressive captivity. But Isaiah is promising the nevertheless God brings liberation. He liberates that the day is coming. And, and, and it's interesting that, that um, in the 1800s, under um, the American slavery, um, there were many famous old Negro spirituals that were born out of that very dark time in American history. 
under oppressive forces. Um, and one of the things that, um, reading some of the biographies of some of the people who lived at that time, one of the things that stands out was, uh, that, that, that was their deep faith, that embedded faith, refusing to lose hope in the midst of oppression. They're looking towards the freedom that was available to them. Um, there's a scripture in the Old Testament in another prophet called Jeremiah that, that says something to the tune of, uh, is there a balm in Gilead? There's a famous song that was written out of that. Is there a balm in Gilead? Is there any healing in our land? And the people, they're singing this spiritual, they would respond, there is a balm in Gilead. They understood that this Jesus was a Jesus of liberation, a Jesus of liberation, of freedom from captivity. And though I doubt any of us probably in this room have ever experienced that kind of captivity, um, I do believe that there are those of us sitting in this room and also online um, that many of you, all of you that are precious to God, who are living oppressed and in captivity. And what I mean by that is that you have things you have secrets, you have obsessions, you have addictions that you deny, you have codependent relationships that are killing you. And Jesus is, is a liberator wanting to free you from those things, the secrets that are deep inside. And I believe that he is a nevertheless God who wants freedom for you, that he wants to free you, but you have to let him get there and get close enough to do so and to open up those places to begin a new path, a new way of life, a new way of freedom and healing. But last and not least is we can also choose to sit with Jesus as my leader in the midst of chaos. I can sit with Jesus as my leader in the midst of chaos. And this is where we come to a scripture that you may have very well heard before at Christmas time. And we're going to have it on the screen there. It's in your notes. I want us to read these words together. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. So Israel was living... Oh, we're going to stop there for a second. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to just pause there for a second. But, but Israel was living under the domination of the foreign king, the Assyrian king. And did you know that that Assyrian king actually said he was God? That was of the time and the period. They, the king would say they are God. But Isaiah is saying, no, uh-uh, sorry, guys. A king is coming who is different, who is not ruling by force and violence and destruction. A different king with different character who's going to rule a lot differently who's going to rule with love and justice. And now we can go to that last part. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. I say exclamation point. That actually was not there in the original Hebrew. But it's basically like Isaiah saying, I double dog dare you not to trust in this Messiah and sit under him. I want to double dog dare you to trust in this Jesus and all that Isaiah said he would be. That, that, that there's, there's so many things that go on in our lives and in our world. You know, and I look at even my own life reflecting back. When I trace the strings of problems in my life, you know where they all lead back to? Me! 
that you know you're the source too, right? There's, there's an old um, comic called Pogo. This is like, I don't I think it was like in the 70s that said these words, I have met the enemy and he is us. Like, it's very true, folks. It's very true. You know, and, and we can sit there and we can look also at the fact that for millennia, people have thought that governments and uh, elections and, and seeking leaders was all going to fix the problem. And guess what? Here we are thousands of years later. Uh-uh. It's not the solution. That people, we see turmoil, a war and destruction, and people broken apart. In the midst of that, we need a greater leader. We need, and I can think of no one better than Jesus to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. You know, yes, we do live under earthly powers, but he, first and foremost, is our king, and he's a king who wants to give us hope. Because after all, friends, where we sit determines what we hear. And what we hear depends on who you're near. So who are you going to be near? Who are you going to spend your time and your energy near and listening to? Where will you sit this Advent? In the busyness and the just the getting ready and the, the buying and all that stuff. Where will you choose to sit? And so at the beginning of the message, we talked about Advent being Happy New Year, right? Advent celebrates the past coming of Jesus. It also celebrates the second coming again. But I also believe that there's a third Advent. A third Advent when we choose to sit under him. His reign and his rule And we allowed him to lead us. And my prayer for us today is that for those of us that have been following him a while, that we would make this Advent, that time, to sit with him. Those of us that maybe we've never done that, and maybe there's been something stirring inside of you during the message, maybe today can be a new year of sorts for you. Whatever you're facing, whatever's in front, whatever the world around you looks like, to know that, yes, This can be the first day. So let's pray.